And so today we're beginning a brand new series uh, for the month of September and in through October called Upside Down. Say Upside Down. Upside Down. And it's going to be a series based on the Beatitudes of Jesus. The Beatitudes of Jesus. Say Beatitude. Beatitude, beatitude. Now, just to kind of give you some uh, uh, context to what we're talking about today and over the next few weeks, uh, in Matthew 5, I'm not reading there yet, but you can turn there because that's where we're going to hang out uh, this morning. But in Matthew 5, what we see in this setting, uh, the ministry of Jesus uh, is starting to grow. The, the popularity of his ministry is starting to grow uh, because miracles are happening, supernatural things are happening, and so obviously that is drawing crowds. And so on this particular occasion, uh, uh, Jesus uh, is, the crowds are gathered around Jesus, ministries happening, healings are happening, and, and so the crowds are there, his disciples are there, so what Jesus decides to do is to climb up uh, a mountain and, and sit down on the mountain along with his disciples, and he begins to teach or preach. And thus, this is where we get the famous Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first recorded uh, 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 sermon or teaching uh, that Jesus gives. And so uh, it, it's important for us to understand that and establish that throughout the course of this series. But he begins to preach this Sermon on the Mount. And in the introduction that Jesus gives, and, and just in his introduction, he gives us what we call the Beatitudes. Say Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. Now, what is a Beatitude? Well, a formal definition that we find for Beatitudes uh, is, is, uh, uh, the, is a phrase, supreme blessedness. Supreme blessedness. How many of you want to experience supreme blessedness? Right? Like supreme blessedness. And so Jesus, what he does in his introduction is he gives us the, this pattern or this path uh, of a life of supreme blessedness, a, a pattern of life for extreme blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to hear anything Jesus has to say about blessing because I desire blessing. I love God's blessing. And if Jesus is going to talk about blessing and how we live a life of blessing, I want to hear everything he has to say. You with me? All right. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 is where we're going to be this morning and where we're going to be really throughout the course of our series here on the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Let's just read and we'll get into this. Matthew 5, verse 1 says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were 
before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that it is alive, it is, alive, it is powerful, it is timeless. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just on a side note, I want to throw this out there to you really quick. In verse 1, the Bible identifies two groups of people that Jesus is talking to. The first group of people that Jesus is talking to are the crowds, which I spoke about earlier, the crowds. Now, the crowds were people that, that liked Jesus. They, they liked him. They, 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 for the most part, liked what he had to say. Uh, they really enjoyed the miracles. They enjoyed seeing the supernatural things that were happening. They, 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 they liked all that stuff, but they weren't fully committed. They were really, really indecisive on if they were really going to leave everything to follow Jesus. So that was the crowd. That's, that's one group of people that he's ministering to. But then there are the disciples, there are the disciples. There are those, the 12 that you saw on the stage here, right? The 12 that were loyal, the 12 that wanted to, that said, I, I, we're going to leave everything to follow you, Jesus. Those are the disciples. And I tossed that your way this morning because I think it's important for you to decide which group you land in. Are you part of the crowds who you like Jesus, but you're really undecided if you really want to follow him? Or are you part of the disciples? Are you willing to leave everything to follow him? Are you fully committed? And so he's speaking to these tif- di- different groups of people in this text. And then he begins to go through these beatitudes. He begins to go in through these beatitudes, these, this pattern of, of, of what it is to have a, 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 a supreme, blessed, ultimately blessed life. And the reason why I titled this Upside Down is because what you're going to discover in these Beatitudes and what you'll discover really through a lot of what Jesus teaches is that he says so many things that are countercultural. He says so many things that really don't make sense to the rest of the world. He say, says things that, that, that maybe will, would, would kind of get the rest of the world to kind of step back a little bit and say, what is, what is he talking about? That doesn't make any sense. And we see this as he listed out the Beatitudes. In verse 3, this is where we're going to hang out for the rest of our time here. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's where that's upside down, because here we see him basically marrying these two words, blessing and poverty. And to the world, that doesn't make sense. To, To the world, there's nothing blessing, there's nothing to be blessed about being poor. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus referring to when he says poor in spirit? Poverty. A deficiency to be without. So what Jesus is saying is you are blessed when you are poor in spirit. You are blessed when you are deficient in your spirit. Ultimately what he is saying, you are blessed when you recognize that you need God. Are you following me? He's saying you're blessed when you come to a state of recognizing that you need God. You are blessed when you come to a state in your life where you recognize that, man, my spirit is deficient. My spirit is empty. And it's empty and it's only available for God to fill it with. So what he's saying is you are blessed when you come to that realization. You are blessed when you recognize your need for God. 
Now, I could probably ask everybody in this room, how many of you need God? And for the most part, we probably all agree, if not all of us, would say, yes, I need God. We probably all say that. But as you and I both know, oftentimes there are discrepancies as to what we say and what we do, right? Like, we can say that we need God, but we can live as if we don't. Are you following me? We can say that we need God. We can say that we are spiritually deficient because it's the right thing to say, but we can live as if we don't need him. But when you are poor in spirit, it is a person that has come to the end of themselves. It is a person that has come to the end of themselves where they recognize, man, there is nothing in it of myself that I can do to be right with God. There is nothing in and of myself that I can do to be righteous. And Jesus says, you're blessed if you come to that realization. You're blessed if you recognize your need for God. Now, that's hard for the world to really grasp because we want to be confident in our own selves. If you notice, uh, uh, probably one of the largest selling genres of books in any bookstore are self-help books, right? How many of you read some self-help books in your, in your time, right? Self-help books, right? To better yourself. I just want to get better. I want to do better. I want to get better. And so anybody who's going to teach me or show me how to better myself, I, I, I need to read it. I need to consume it. Why? Because I want to get better. And then, I, I, let me just debunk a, a, a false statement that probably everybody here has, has heard, but it's not Bible. It's the statement that God helps those who help themselves. Anybody ever heard that before? Right? Can anybody tell me what chapter and verse in the Bible that's in? It's not, right? But if you, if you were to bring that up to somebody, they'd probably say, well, that's Bible. God helps those who help themselves. But on the contrary, that's quite opposite of what God came to do. Why? Because God helps the helpless. God helps the hopeless. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Right? right? The Word says that in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet helpless, Christ died for us. And so I need to debunk that before we move forward because I don't want you to leave here thinking or, or believing that when you start hearing that on the job, when you start hearing that at the dinner table, man, God helps those who help themselves. You can ride around and say, you know what? You know that's not right, right? You know that's false. I don't know where you heard that from, but that's not right. Actually, they, they, they say that the original person that said that was Benjamin Franklin. Right? And that's not God. So... But God helps the helpless. God helps those who need him. And Jesus says, if you want to experience blessing, a blessed person recognizes their need for God. But I want us to move from just saying that to actually living that. Because the reality is, many of us live lives as if we don't need God. 
Many of us live lives as if we don't need God. So, so let's just break this down for a few moments, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time this morning doing that. What are the signs of a person who doesn't need God? What are the signs of a person who doesn't need God? And, and, and if you're, you're taking notes, which I hope you are, I encourage you to write this stuff down because it may be you. You may be a person that is living life like you don't need God and you don't even know it. So let me give you the signs of a person that does not need God. The first sign of a person that doesn't need God is a person with no prayer life. A person with no prayer life. Now, let me just kind of clarify here. I'm not just talking about an every so often type prayer that you pray. I'm not just talking about an every Sunday prayer that you pray while you're in church. I'm not talking about just, just a prayer for God when you need something every, every few weeks or every few months. I'm, not ta I'm talking about a, a, a daily conversation with God. Prayer was designed for us to be in conversation with him. Prayer was designed for us to lay our needs before him. And when you don't pray, you're saying you don't need him. When you don't pray, you're saying, I do fine all by myself. Why? Because God helps those who help themselves. God, I don't really need your help today. I do fine all by myself. But it's quite interesting that in the next chapter, in chapter 6, Jesus gives us this, this, this pattern of prayer, right? He's teaching his disciples to pray. And in this pattern of prayer, which we now know is the Lord's Prayer, in this pattern of prayer, Jesus himself teaches us and shows us how to pray. And in that prayer, what does he say? He says, Father, God, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, what he's saying is, God, I need your provision for today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but for today. Daily. Daily. And so to a person who doesn't need God, why would you ask for his provision? Why would you ask for him to provide for you? Why would you ask for him to give you what you need for that day when you don't need him? But Jesus himself says when you pray, ask him to provide your daily provision. Now provision is, is pretty broad, and provision covers a wide range of things. Provision can simply be your, your, your needs for the day. Provision can simply be the tangible needs, the material needs that you need for the day, the food, the, the money, whatever you need for that day. But provision, provision can also mean the spiritual needs for, you, for that day, the, 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 the needs to function as a Christian, the needs to, to, to do right as a believer. And let me just kind of let you in just kind of on my life for a second. Man, every day when I pray, Oftentimes, I find myself saying the same thing. Not repeating the same thing all day long, but what I'm saying is I, I have kind of like a set prayer that I pray for myself. It helps me not have to figure out what to say. I'm just, I'm just, I have this prayer that I pray when it comes to my provision. And in the morning, when I'm praying, I'm talking to the Holy Spirit. I say, Holy Spirit, thank you. Holy Spirit, lead me, teach me, and help me to be the man, 
to be the husband, to be the father, to be the pastor that you created me to be. Holy Spirit, help me to be a man of good character. Holy Spirit, help me to be a man of good integrity. Holy Spirit, help me to resist temptation today. I need you. I pray that every day. Why? Because every day has its new set of challenges. I don't know what type of challenges I'm going to face today. I don't know what type of people I'm going to encounter today. I don't know who's going to talk to me crazy today. You don't know if your boss is going to talk to you crazy today. You don't know if you're going to have to hold back from knocking somebody out today. Like you just don't know what you're going to face today. And so why not ask God for his provision for you today? Holy Spirit, I need you to help me, teach me, guide me today. God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this in my own terms because it seems that every time I do, I always fail. And Jesus said, man, you're blessed if you recognize your need for God. But see, here's how good God is, and, and many of you can testify to this. Has anybody here ever experienced God's provision without you asking for it? Anybody but me? Anybody received a provision where you know like that was only God, but yet, God, I didn't even ask for this. God, I didn't even pray this morning. That shows how good he is. That shows that he wants to provide for you. That shows that he desires to meet your need. But when we don't pray, we are living life as if we just don't need him. How dare we as Christians, professed Christians, go through our whole day without even talking to him? And I've been guilty. I've been guilty. There are times where it's in the evening time, I'm like, God, I haven't even talked to you today. Soon as I was out the door, I hit it running, didn't even think about talking to you. I'm just being honest. How dare I think that I can function throughout the day without you? How dare I think that I can function throughout the day without asking for your provision today? God, forgive me. But when we don't pray, we live life as if we just don't need them. Pray. Ask God for his provision for today. Model yourself after the Lord's prayer. Model yourself after the prayer that Jesus gave us. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because you're blessed when you recognize your need for God. So what's the second sign of a person who doesn't need God, right? Because prayer is a pretty big sign. That, lack of prayer is a pretty big sign that you don't need God. Lack of prayer is a pretty big indication that, man, I can function with God, function without God throughout the day. I don't need his provision. I don't need his daily bread. But the second sign of a person who doesn't need God 
is a person who has no desire to know God. A person who has no desire to know him. What does that mean? One of the best ways that we can come to know God, not only through prayer, but in through his word, right? And when we don't have a desire to get in here, we don't have a desire to know him. Because let me tell you, for the most part, everything you need to know about God is right here. Everything you need to know about his goodness, everything you need to know about his mercy, everything you need to know about his grace is right here. You want to know how powerful God is? Read about it. You want to know how awesome and big your God is? Read about it. You want to know how he feels about you? Read about it. Because here's the thing. When you grow in your knowledge of God, when you start to see God for who he is, when you start to get into his word and see how awesome and powerful and mighty he is, when you start to feed yourself on that, what you start to realize and see is how big God really is and how insufficient and small we really are. And I don't know about you, but when I'm put up next to a big, big God, I want whatever it is he has to give me. Because in and of myself, I have nothing. Say nothing. But when you grow in your knowledge of God, you start to see his greatness. You start to see his awesomeness, how grand he is, how good he is. The reason why we feel like we don't need God is because we really don't know him. And we grow to know him by getting into his word. Growing in our knowledge and understanding of who he is. John chapter 17, verse 3, just some scriptures I want you to write down. And, And this is eternal life. That they know you. Who? God. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He says, this is where it is, that you will know God. John 17, 3, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing what? Through the word of Christ. Getting into his word, growing in your knowledge of who he is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Now, stop right there for a moment. See, Satan really enjoys it when we don't pray, right? Because he knows we're not asking for provision. And Satan thoroughly enjoys it when we don't read read God's word. Why? Because we don't really know him. Because Satan knows that if we grew to an understanding of God, Satan knows if you grew to an understanding of how big and great God is, you're going to start asking him for things. You're going to start relying on him for things. And so what do we read in the text? We read in the text here, it says that the the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from what? From seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan doesn't want you in here. Satan doesn't want you on your knees. Satan wants you to be self-sufficient. 
Satan wants you to live life in your own strength. Satan wants you to have self-help. He doesn't desire for you to have reliance on God. And that's what I hope for my life. That's what I hope for your life. That's what I hope for the life of a church. I want to be a church that is fully reliant on the power of God. See, here's an interesting kind of insight to church world. See, church world, churches can be built nowadays on business models. They really can. Like, like churches can be built on, on functioning business models, right, on leadership principles, all these different things. And, 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 and that stuff isn't bad, but it's bad when that's solely what the church is built on. Strategy. You want strategy to get more people into your church, this is how you do it. You want strategy to grow your church. Man, it is a million-dollar industry right now on strategy to grow your church. It just it is what it is. And if we're not careful, or if I'm not careful, I can easily say, hey, let me figure out this strategy and business model so we can grow our church. And what happens is when I start to go that route, when I start to move in that direction, what will start to happen is I start relying on skill and ability and strategy rather than on the power of God. But I want our church to be built on the power of God. I want our church to be built on what the Holy Spirit can provide, not what on a business strategy can provide. Because it's only then that true life change happens. It's only then that true transformation happens. And I believe throughout the course of our next season as a church, we will start to see supernatural things happen. Why? Because we're not building on a business model. We're building on the power of His Spirit. Amen? How many of you desire that? I desire that for the church. I desire that for your life. I desire that for my life. But yet, why do we continue living as if we don't need them? Jesus clearly said, you are a blessed person if you recognize you need God. So pray. Talk to him as if you need him. Read his word. Get to know him more. See how awesome he is. See how wonderful he is. No prayer life. No desire to know him. And the beautiful thing about God is that he provides us with the resources. He provides us with things in our lives that that help us grow in him, that help us become fully reliant on him. And so prayer is one of those things. The word is one of those things. But another thing, another sign of a person that that doesn't need God is a person who has no desire for fellowship. And here's what I mean by that. There are people who I like to call lone rangers when it comes to the Christian faith. These are people that say, hey, man, I have my faith in Jesus. I really don't need the church. Like, it's okay if I show up here once every quarter. It's okay if I show up here once every so often. But I don't really need it because I have my own, you know, I do my own thing. I pray. I I read his word. 
I, I, I watch church online. I watch church on TV. I, I, I really don't need the church. I really don't need this right here. Besides, I'm not really a people person. I'm an introvert. And I like being by myself. I like being alone. I, I, I like figuring this thing out on myself. I don't need, I don't want to be around church people. But yet Jesus gave us relationship for a reason. Like when I do weddings, I'll, I do this at every wedding because I think it's just so vital. I, I, I talk about creation, right? And I talk about God creating the heavens and the earth, and I go through all that certain thing, and I, and I, and I, I, I paint it as, a, as, a, as an artist does, right? Like, that God is this artist on this canvas, and he's, he's creating the earth and doing everything so beautiful and so great. And that this artist steps back from his canvas and begins to look at everything and think, man, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. But there's one thing he says that is not good. What is it? That man should be alone, right? One thing out of all his creation that he said, it's just not good that man is alone. Why? So what does he do? He creates Eve, right? And we'll use that illustration for marriage, which is, which is the right thing to do, but also for relationship as a whole. God desires for us to be in relationship with one another. Why? Because we need each other. You cannot do this on your own. You're fooling yourself if you think you don't need this right here. You're fooling yourself. You need fellowship. You need one another. We need the church. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider what? How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's saying, don't neglect it. Don't neglect this right here. You need this. I need this. We need fellowship. And, and, and I, I, I strongly urge you, please do not get caught up in the lie that this isn't important. Can you be saved without coming to church? Absolutely. You can make it to heaven. You can make it. That, yeah, you're good. Jesus has secured that on the cross. It's not the cross and the church that saves you. It's solely Jesus and what he did and what he accomplished. But how do you think you can live this life successfully? Like, how do you feel that you can function in this world successfully as a believer without brothers and sisters around you that are there to encourage you and build you up? Because let me just be honest, this life is difficult. This life is pretty hard. This life can get very lonely at times, especially when you're the only one on the job that's a believer. Anybody ever been there before? Especially when the only, you're the only one in the lunchroom that's trying to follow Jesus hard and everybody else is just talking about their exploits and everything else that they do outside of God. It can get lonely. But then it can be refreshing when you step into the doors in fellowship of other believers. It can be refreshing when we can stand with one another and encourage one another as God calls us to in the scriptures. 
to encourage and build each other up. See, in some of you right now, even as I'm talking to you, you, you're in a state or a season right now where you're just struggling. Maybe you're struggling with a sin. Maybe you're struggling uh, with, with, as we talked about on Wednesday, we talked about people struggling with depression and anxiety and all these different things. And, and one of these, these signs and symptoms of folks who are struggling with depression is isolation. They just, they just go to be with themselves. And the Bible's clearly communicating to us, no, do not isolate yourself. You need to be around your brothers and sisters in the faith. We need each other. We need each other for growth. We need each other to live this life. And ultimately what I'm trying to tell you is do not struggle alone. God has provided men and women to surround you. God has provided men and women that love you, that want to encourage you, that want to build you up, that want to see you grow. James chapter 5, verse 16, we all know this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. Some of you may not have ever considered that this place can be a place of healing for you. Some of you may be struggling in your marriages and in your family and all different types of circumstances that are going really bad right now. And instead of running to connect and build with one another, you've, you've run away and said, well, I, I don't want to be in there because I don't want them to know my business I don't want them to know that I'm struggling. I, when I see them in public or when I see them at different places, I, I smile and, and I, I present that everything is okay. Because I just don't want them in my business. And that may be you and that may be your personality. That may be just what you desire and how you desire to live. But let me just tell you something. God has made us for relationship. He's made us to grow with one another. We need each other. I need you. You need me. Don't stay away. Don't treat the, don't treat the gathering of the saints or church as just something that we just occasionally will do when I feel like it. When I get up early enough, I'll do it. If I don't have anything going on on Sunday, I'll, I'll make it. But start to see this as a resource for you for growth and healing and encouragement, the building of your faith. I love you guys. I love being around you. You build me up. Because you know what? Even as a pastor, man, sometimes as a pastor, it can be one of the loneliest, loneliest places to be. Because as a pastor, for the most part, everybody thinks that everything is good. Well, he's the pastor. He's close to God. Yeah, he doesn't have any issues. He's close to God. He's got a direct line to God. Why should he be sad? Why should he be lonely? But sometimes this, this road can get lonely. 
As much as I enjoy preaching to you, I also enjoy the encouragement that I receive from you. I love it. It builds me up. It, it really does something good for my soul. And I know everybody in here enjoys a good encouraging word every so often. There's not a person in here that doesn't like to be encouraged. There's not a person in here that doesn't like somebody just to come alongside you and say, hey, man, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you today. I've been lifting you up this week. Just wanted to let you know that. Just wanted to let you know that. Jesus said you're blessed if you recognize your need for God. You are blessed if you've come to the end of yourself. You are blessed if you recognize your spiritual deficiency that only God can fill. You're blessed. You're blessed. Let's stand to our feet. As I said at the beginning of this message, this is the first first biblically recorded sermon of Jesus. This is his first podcast. This is the first recorded message of Jesus. And it's interesting that he begins with his very first beatitude. Blessed are those who recognize their need for God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Why? Because that's where it all begins. That's where it starts. That's, where, that's the beginning of life, is becoming to the end of yourself. And for some of you this morning, you've come to the end of yourself. Some of you are in a place right now where you realize you are deficient spiritually. And you need God. You need God for salvation. And today can be the day of salvation for you. Today can be the day of a new life for you. As we said in our communion time, as we said throughout the course of our entire time this morning, Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth to live a sinless, perfect life to die on a cross that we deserved, but to die on a cross for sins that he didn't even commit, but to die for the sins that we've committed. And because of that, we now can be forgiven of our sins. Because of that sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your sin. For some of you, you've never asked God for forgiveness before. Today can be that day for you. Today, you can be forgiven of every sin you've ever committed and every sin you're going to commit. Today can be that day for you. Jesus died. Three days later, he rose again. And because of that resurrection, you and I now can experience a brand new life. We are not the same people anymore. You can experience salvation today. You can come to know Jesus as Lord of your life today. 
And if you've never done that before, you've never accepted that invitation, you've never repented and asked for forgiveness of your sins before, today can be that day. I'm going to ask you to come meet me down here at this altar. I'm going to ask our prayer team if they would come up and join me.